Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving week. Um, it's interesting. I read an online article about Thanksgiving, and it's referred to as a secular holiday. I guess it's official. They stole it. <laughs> a secular holiday. Can you imagine that? Who does a secular person give thanks to? And what are they thanking whoever that person or thing or whatever is? You know, Thanksgiving's been around a long time. Most of us all know at least some of the history of it. We know the original with the pilgrims and the, and the Indians, the Native Americans, and the Thanksgiving. And, and uh, in, it was in the 1700s, 1789, George Washington proclaimed a day of Thanksgiving. And, and during the Civil War in 1863, Lincoln tried to establish a day of Thanksgiving in the midst of that ugly, ugly war. So all of these things were taking place. And then finally, in 1941, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a president, it was established as the day that we currently celebrate it on. But it's interesting, even there, two years before it was passed to be the, the four, is it the fourth Thursday? Yeah, it is, right? Fourth Thursday in November, he had tried to, to uh, present legislation to move it earlier. You know why? Economic reasons. Economic reasons. But it didn't, didn't get passed two years previous. It's a secular holiday, and it's great that we give thanks. And we certainly as Christians shouldn't need a government-declared day to give thanks. As Christians, we have a much clearer and a much stronger mandate to give thanks than something that a legislature or a president would ever proclaim. In 1 Thessalonians, and this is where... We're going to be looking kind of at this whole idea of the mercy of God. If you're looking for my title, it looks like I've got Olivia panicking back there. You're relaxed? You know where I'm at? Good. I'm not sure. The mercy of God. And in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. You notice, that is a pretty strong exhortation. Really, it's a command. It is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Well, there's a place to start. Rejoice. Always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. And obviously, it's an attitude that we should have as Christians. It's an attitude that should flow out of us as Christians just naturally when we discover and understand a little bit about who we are in Christ. In everything. What does that include? Well, obviously, most of us in the secular world is pretty good, at least on Thanksgiving, giving thanks for all of the natural blessings that people receive. You know, thank you for my family. Thank you for the clothes on our back, the food on our table, the car we're driving, and all that. And it's great. We should give thanks. God says everything. They're certainly part of everything. As Christians, we should understand that there's blessings in the spiritual that we should also give thanks for. And they are the more important blessings, actually, than any of those temporal things that we're blessed with. To give thanks for our salvation. You know, as crazy as it sounds, when's the last time you literally said in prayer or in worship, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me from the pit of hell. 
Thank you for lifting me up when there was nothing I could do on my own. You know what? As amazing as that is, a lot of Christians, most Christians, we just don't do that. It's kind of like we're saved and we forget to give thanks for something as amazing as that. Our deliverance, our healing. You know, God sometimes has moved in people's lives and, and people in here in my own life, in an amazing way of healing. And man, we're excited. We can hardly wait to give a praise report for our healing. And a week, maybe two, maybe six weeks down the road, we've forgotten all about it. We need to be giving thanks for the spiritual blessings. When's the last time you prayed and just thanked Him for the relationship you can have with the Father? Thank you, God, that I am your child. Thank you that you call me your child. Thank you declare, you, you declare I'm your friend. Your position. Thank you that I am seated in Christ, with Christ in the heavenly places. Thank you that I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ and I have the authority in that name. When's the last time you prayed like that? Well, if you're like me and most of us, we don't do a real good job of that. But those are the things that should just come out of us naturally in an attitude of thanksgiving. We should have an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, as I was thinking about thanksgiving this week and with all the busyness we've got going on and all the things that we've, we should be thankful for, have you ever asked yourself, what makes our relationship with God possible? I can thank Him for all those things I just mentioned, but what is it that makes it possible? Now, we could come up with a lot of answers and they would probably all have a good degree of truth and accuracy in it. But I kept thinking and going deeper. Okay, what makes a relationship possible? Jesus died on the cross. Okay, great. Why did he do that? Well, he loved me. Really? What kind of love did he have? Why did he love me? Why does he choose to love me? The Bible tells us that we're worthless. We are evil. It's disgusting when he calls me the son of the devil. But that's what the Bible says we were. Why did he love me? Why did he save me? What is this underlying character trait? And we could come to different conclusions, and I'm not saying the other conclusions would be wrong, but I want to focus on one character trait or attribute of God that to me seems to be foundational to almost everything else, and that's his mercy. When have you thanked him for his mercy? If you're like me, I hadn't even thought about doing it for Maybe ever. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. That's what I want to focus on today is the mercy of God. I believe it is the very, very heart of our Christian faith. His mercy. Now I know there's a lot of other truths that are critical to our relationship with the Lord, critical to our, our Christian faith. But without the mercy of God, I don't know where we would be. Well, I think I do know where we would be. I want to start with the scripture in Ephesians, and then we're going to go into the Psalms. But in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Rich in mercy, overflowing in mercy, abundant mercy, unending mercy, 
Get out a lexicon and look that word up. It's amazing. What it says is, whatever the need, there's more than enough. Whatever it is, it'll never run out. How much mercy do I need? I don't know, but I know this. Whatever I need, it's available from God. He never runs out of mercy. And without His mercy, there's none of us that would be saved. None of us without His mercy. There's a definition of mercy in Unger's Bible Dictionary. I'm going to just read to you. It says this. Mercy is a form of love determined by the state or condition of its objects. That's an interesting place for that definition to start. The definition of mercy depends on how ugly and evil and filthy and dirty and worthless I am. When you look at that word mercy, it's always talking about the miserable person or the miserable shape we are in. And it says, it goes on and he says, their state is one of suffering and need. If we're not there now, we're, we're going to be there and we've been there. And he goes on and says, and while they may be unworthy or undeserving, mercy is at once the disposition of love and the kindly ministry of love for their relief. All relief that we receive from the Lord, no matter what it is in our situation or our circumstance, begins in his mercy because we don't deserve any of it. None of it. The mercy of God. I'm going to read Psalms 86. And I'm going to read it really fast because I want to read the whole chapter. Bow down your ear. This is David. And you'll see in about verse 13, David's got some problems. But I want you to notice how he prays in the midst of problems. He says this, Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and I am needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. For you are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of hell. God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and grace, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and, the sa- and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of good f- that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because, Lord, you have helped me and comforted me. Man, notice that. Whatever his problem was, these hateful men that were attacking him, whatever they were doing against him, how much do you know about what his problem was? Not much. Notice how he prayed. It wasn't a detail in every intricacy of his problems. He was praying the character of God. He was reminding God of his mercy, acknowledging his mercy, acknowledging his need for mercy, crying out to him in his loving kindness, his compassion, his faithfulness to, to his children. 
I'm not saying we have to pray a certain way, but boy, I think that's a good way to pray. He didn't get into the details. Lord, you know my problem. You know I've got these hateful men. They're out there. They're trying to destroy me. And and they're evil men because they haven't put you before them in their lives. And that's it. That's all we know. And he keeps praying about the abundance of God. And he prays with a certainty. And we're going to look at just basically four verses here in that section of Scripture. Four, five, six, and seven. So Psalms 86, 4 through 7. <clears throat> Rejoice, make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear to my prayer and the voice of my supplication. In the days of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. I want to just point out four specific things that I think we can see in here about the mercy of God and the reason it's so important. You know, we, are, we were condemned to go to hell. We were separated from God. There was nothing we could do about it. Zero. And whatever it was going to take to fix all of that, it had to be a really amazing thing. A big thing. And it was the mercy of God that opened the door for all that He really did through the cross. We didn't deserve any of it. Any of it. And if you remember what I read in Ephesians, and I'm not going to go back there, you can look, but mercy brings forgiveness. My first point, mercy brings forgiveness. That Ephesians scripture I read, it's fundamentally about forgiveness. Taking us who are separated, unrighteous, condemned, and putting us in a place of right relationship by the mercy of God. And through His mercy, He forgives. His mercy You know, a lot of people, a lot of us here, I hope not here, but there's probably some of us here that are still thinking we can get to God on our own merit. Somehow or other, we're going to be able to stand before Him on our own merit. Well, the bad news is, you can stand before Him on your own merit, but the outcome's going to be really bad. We can't stand before Him with any hope of going to heaven on our own merit. It has to be through His mercy through the whole gospel message, which is a working out of His mercy. For each one of us. In Romans 8, 7 it says, For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. Never. When we are unsaved, there is no way we can bring anything to God that He really wants or likes or accepts. It's all trash even the things that the world describes as good god would consider trash because it's not being done by a child of god for his glory to ever 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 have a relationship with christ with god the father required forgiveness coming from his mercy forgiveness and if you think about it in the natural I tell you what, you want to wreck a relationship? I can give you a three-letter word that will help you do that. Sin. Sin is a relationship breaker. From the beginning of creation, the relationship with God, between God and Adam and Eve, sin broke that relationship. And most of us could attest to in our own lives at different times, sin has put a strain on relationships in our own lives. So what do we need to do to get rid of that strain? Forgiveness. 
repentance and forgiveness. And God's plan for that came out of his mercy because we didn't deserve it. God's mercy, and you maybe have heard it defined simply this way before, he doesn't treat us like our sin deserves. There's a scripture in Psalms 103 verse 10 that says this, He has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor recorded according to or rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? Reward me according to my iniquities, O God. That's not the way we would want to pray. God, judge me on the basis of my sin. We'd be toast. We'd be separated eternally from God. We would spend eternity in hell. Thankfully, he's not a fair God. He's a just God who's a merciful God. A merciful God. So as, one, as wonderful as his mercy is in the area of forgiveness, we need to understand a little bit more than just that. In addition to it, the knowing that it brings mer- his mercy brings forgiveness, we need to understand personally to the extent his mercy extends. In verse 5, the end of verse 5, it says this, His mercy is abundant. He is abundant in mercy. And there's so many scriptures where it's described that way. And I already alluded to what that word abundant means. There's always enough. It's overflowing. You know, as long as we are in the place where we can receive his mercy, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. It's present in whatever quantity. And this is so important to grasp because our need is so great. And there are so many people who consider themselves beyond the reach of God because of their sin, because of their past, because of whatever. And God's saying, no, my mercy is limitless. There's no limit to my mercy. He is abundant in mercy. And it's a good thing because we're... Bible, any misconception that you have, if you believe the Bible, any misconception we have about who we are, you know, this idea, it's one of those lines I almost always cringe and want to open my mouth, but usually I keep it under control. When I hear people say, people are basically good. They're not basically good. They're evil. If they're not saved, the Bible really blows that thing apart in a hurry. It says they're dead. They're dead people. They're enslaved to sin. And as I said earlier, they're children of the devil. That doesn't sound like basically good. They're not. But in his mercy, David himself in verse 13 declared, you have delivered me from the depths of hell. That can be every single one of our prayers if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He has delivered us from the depth of hell. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned, condemned, Until the mercy of God extends his forgiveness to us through Christ and what Christ has done. So we need to understand not that it brings forgiveness, but to the extent which it can bring it. And another step further than that is who it's available to. Who's it available to? To all. It's available to all. That's important for two reasons. One, we have a tendency in our own mind to limit God's mercy when we look at some people and say, they will never get saved. They're horrible. They're evil. They're sinful. Go look in a mirror. 
That's who we were before we met Christ. And His mercy that's abundant, overflowing, always enough. We never want to be any part of trying to limit the, person, the mercy of God in reaching someone else. Ever. That's the first reason it's so important we understand it's for all. The second reason is this. It's for you and me. And the enemy loves to try to condemn us and somehow convince us that we are somehow disqualified to receive God's mercy. It's a lie. It's a lie. We believe it too often. The enemy uses a powerful weapon of deception to get us thinking. Maybe, just maybe everybody else, but not, not me. Not true. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it says this, God our Savior who declares all men to be saved and to come, desires, excuse me, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to be the beneficiary of his mercy. When have you thanked him for his mercy? And again, I'm standing up here telling you, I, I can't even remember if I ever have. If I did, it was a long time ago. And if I did, it might have been in a liturgy where I didn't have a clue what I was saying. But his mercy opens the door to a relationship with God. But that verse, you need to read it all. It says, to whom? To all. But there's one little caveat that we have to hang on to. Who cry out to the name of the Lord. It's to all. No one is disqualified. We can disqualify ourselves. People can disqualify ourselves from the mercy of God. He says, here it is. It's all here for you. But you need to cry out for mercy. Cry out in the name of the Lord. It says, to all those who call upon Him. What's that mean to call upon the name of the Lord? I mean, a lot of times we throw that around and we assume everybody must get it. That doesn't make much sense to me if I just think about it in the natural. Call upon the name of the Lord. That's all it takes. What does that mean? It means we need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who was the acceptable sacrifice for all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. We need to call out to that name and who He is, His character. The totality of who He is and what He's done. That's what that means. We need to call out, on the name, call out to the name of the Lord. I am going to believe who He is and what He has done and what He has said. That's what it takes. And that opens the door to all that abundant mercy. All that abundant mercy. Not hard work. Not doing all kinds of good deeds. That'll flow out of it, you know, because if I'm not mistaken, there's some scriptures that say something like, Be ye merciful. As I am merciful. We're called to let this mercy go through us and be merciful to other people. We're really good at judging, aren't we? That's because we developed that skill while we were the sons of the devil. We're to be merciful as he is merciful. Merciful to those around us. But we have to call out to the name of the Lord. Everybody who ever is going to experience the fullness of the mercy of God has had to call out to him. Had to receive that free gift and declare, I'll take it. Lord, come. When David prays, and the way he writes in so many of the Psalms, you see how often what he is declaring as truth, sometimes it's just almost like a reminder slash challenge to God to once again be who you say you are. God, in your mercy. Okay, yeah, I'm reminding you. 
Come to me, God, with your mercy, with your repentance, with forgiveness, whatever it takes. It's not limited. It's for all who call out to him. And the very best, another really good part anyway, is found in verse 7 also. When you read, I'm going to go back and read that. Is it up on the screen? That's Romans. <laughs> go to the one that says Psalms 86, verses 4 through 7, I believe. Good job. Notice at the very end of that verse, what's it say? For you will answer me. It's a guarantee. Anybody ever buy something with a guarantee? And then something goes wrong with whatever you bought with a guarantee? And then you get on the phone, you call this toll-free number and say, what do I do? And they say, I'm sorry, that's not covered. Like, what do you mean it's not covered? It's guaranteed. You know, we had a $560 washing machine. It broke. Parts were going to cost $700. So is it under warranty? Not that part. Anybody have that happen? Guarantees in our culture almost mean nothing. We can take that guarantee to the bank. David says, I can pray like this. I can believe like this because I know your character and you will answer me. Guaranteed. Now, he doesn't guarantee he's going to answer it in your time frame or the way you want. That's our problem, right? He guarantees it. God is merciful and good, and he will work all things for good for those who believe. We need to trust him. Romans 10, it says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Isn't that a great promise right there? But it doesn't stop there. He goes on, For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. In other words, he doesn't look at people and compare them and qualify some, disqualify others. It's available to everybody. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. His wealth of riches begins with his mercy. The riches of his mercy. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guaranteed. And with that should come in our lives an assurance. An assurance of salvation. An assurance of who we are in Christ. Our identity. Our position. The promises. The destiny. All of those things. There should be an assurance. But this lack of assurance is one of the biggest problems in Christianity. I mean, do you ever find yourself saying or thinking phrases like, well... Maybe, or I'm not sure, I don't know that I understand, can God really love me, can God really forgive my sins? Where's the assurance in there? How do we get past that? Ever have problems believing those things? If you do, write down the solution. Ready? Believe the Bible. That's it. What are you going to believe? I guarantee you, people will lie to you and give you all kinds of great, sweet, rosy-sounding things and philosophies. But if they don't line up with the Bible, it's a bunch of garbage. And the enemy would love to put thoughts in your brain and have you start dwelling on them. 
that are contrary to the Word of God. We need to just believe the Word. Can you have victory in whatever area of your life? Absolutely. Positively. Without a doubt. All we have to do is call out on the name of the Lord. If, he, if we need to, to repent of sin, He'll convict you of it. And when He convicts you of it, He'll grant repentance. And when you respond in repentance, He will forgive. And when he, we have been forgiven, relationship is restored. And victory is there. And however long it takes and how many times it takes, do not give up. The Bible is true. I'm going to just close with a few scriptures that aren't going to all be up there, just the, where they're found are. But I want you to just listen to these scriptures in regard to grace. First one's in 2 Samuel. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Picture that. When you're in the great distress, I am just going to fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. I'm going to just trust him. In Psalms 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all of his works. You and I are the crown jewel of his works. If his mercies cover all his works, they more than cover us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us with all us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a long way of saying show mercy like he shows mercy. Lamentations, I'm going to read this in two translations. The first one's in the King James. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And the, new, the, the, the Living Bible reads it this way. Yet, there is one ray of hope, no matter what situation you're in. His compassion, his mercies never end. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh each day. I read those last scriptures just to encourage us. Man, if you're like me, you have some really crappy days. And sometimes they're even worse than that. His mercies are new every morning. We need to remind ourselves of the mercies of God. Give thanks for the mercy of God. And His mercies are new every morning. So no matter where you're at today, there's abundance to get through today and they're new again tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray that as we are focused on Thanksgiving this week as everybody around us is talking about it, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you will give us greater understanding of the, the things that we should be thankful for as your kids. Who you are. We are thankful that you're a holy and righteous God. That you're long-suffering with us as your children. You're patient with us. That your mercies are new every morning. That your love is unconditional. God, that there is always hope.
in Jesus Christ. That there is a peace no matter what storm we're living in at the moment. God, that there is always joy that releases a strength when our joy is in you. God, the list goes on and on. We thank you and praise you for all those things and bring them to our remembrance every day, not just this week. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be a blessing to those that we run into to contact with this week, with families and friends as people travel and gather together in fellowship. God, that our thankful attitudes could lead us into conversations that would give us opportunities to share the the hope that's in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray now for our community service tonight. God, as we have been praying, Lord, let your presence fill this place that all would come and experience the presence and the power and the love of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that takes place here this evening when the community's churches come together under the name of Christ. Pray, Lord, you would be with each one as they go and travel, come back tonight. Watch over us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.